for aesthetic reasons, it looked great. It was shot really well. Uh, it was really well acted. I thought George Clooney did a really good performance in this movie. Um, but it's definitely not going to be a favorite of mine. And and also, like I said, the, the opening scene was so shocking that uh, for the rest of the movie, I was I kept uh, going back and thinking, well, why am I why why am I why should I empathize with this character? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that opening scene so with, without that opening scene, I think this movie would have fallen apart because that opening scene is so well done. It kind of defines the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, for those of you who haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin it for you. Um, <laughs> But you need to understand what we're discussing. In, in the opening scene, there's this woman that he's with, and you, you, you get the sense that he's kind of s- settling down, and it's a spy movie, so you figure the spy is going to protect the woman. Right. And he kills, he kills well, he an assassin. That, yeah, he kills an assassin, and he tells, tells her, you know, go call the police. And that woman is thinking, oh, that's a smart idea, because that's what you should do, logically. You should go call the police. You just killed someone, you should call the police, and as soon as her back turns George Clooney, he just pops her in the head with a yeah. gun. Yeah. Just no questions no asked. And no reaction. No reaction. He doesn't like, there's no, like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. Or he doesn't, sort of like, this is the logical course of and action. And then moves on and looks for, for the other people. And you're just sitting there, what? Right. <laughs> yeah. And that, that moment got me really excited for what this movie mm-hmm. might have been. Well, see, that, that moment, then everyone else, and I, I told you this, we were laughing about it in the drive home, everybody else in the movie, I was worried that George Clooney was just going to randomly kill them. Yeah. Because when they put that into his character, that he <clears throat> is cold in that way, and kind of willing to just do what needs to be done to protect himself, everyone is vulnerable. The priest, when he first pulls into that small town, yeah. mm-hmm. I was frightened that he was going to shoot some of those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah that there was something it would just and kind of in the way that it added tension to all these moments of stillness and he he had it he had a sense of menace about him Mm -hmm. that made it interesting more interesting than it it would have been otherwise um so you you actually like the movie I like the movie but as as you guys know I like boring movies (laughs) (laughs) I like I I like Terrence Malick style movies, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Terrence Malick style. Mm-hmm. Um, I like movies that are just beautifully shot and slow moving. Um, I can sit there for a while and watch a movie that is gorgeously shot, because this is, you can tell Anton Corbin's a still photographer. Mm-hmm. You really can. Uh, there's the shot that's looking the 90 degree angle straight down the road with the car, like slowly moving. It's amazing. You you mm-hmm. mentioned the shot with the mist going over the mountains. It's really good. The shot of him in the cafe where he's he's separated from everyone else in the cafe by the the divider. Um, just some of the shots where he's building the gun are just they're so they're gorgeous. They're so but, beautifully shot. But and as think, as a film, not just as a, a series of still photographs, but as a film, yeah, it does it hold together? For me, yeah, I like that. I, I, but I also understand why people won't, and I understand why people will appreciate it more than like it. Right. But I can really like because to me that does tell a story. It just doesn't tell it through. You, 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 you don't see it through talking. You see it through the images. You see it through symbolism. Um, it, it's, I, I appreciated it, um, in that it was different from 
ironically, different from most American films. Mm -hmm. um, it's a film called The American with an American Movie Star that's basically a European movie. Um, it's, it's more interested in atmosphere and tone and uh, character than it is in, you know, having a fast moving plot or uh, action scenes or whatever. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's an espionage movie, but it's, it's more of a moody espionage movie than an actual, like, action spy film. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so, okay. Um, how did you feel about the, uh, some of the other actors, the, the other people? Because, I mean, I think this is really George Clooney, but some of the other aspects of the film. Um, I really like liked Priest mm -hmm. as a character. I know priests are kind of cliche, even plots like this, they're kind of cliche, mm -hmm. but, um, he had an interesting character because he had he had a sense of mystery about him. There was there was something, you know, he wasn't just the priest. Yeah. You know, there yeah. Was that, he was there, complicated. That I loved that scene where they're walking in the garden. Yeah. Oh. That was yeah. probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. Yeah. Another just beautiful shot. Yeah. yeah. Those two, George Clooney. I don't know who the actor is, but um, the the actor who played the priest. Those two actors, their performances and their dialogue and the atmosphere and the sense of history of both these characters that are coming out in this conversation and the sense of foreboding that this conversation creates. Mm -hmm. um, that one scene I really loved. I really loved that scene. But yeah. and, all, and, all the actors in this were good. They, yeah, like I mean, they did a great job. Yeah. The characters were interesting and not you know one-dimensional. Mm -hmm. um, even the, the prostitute, I don't remember her name, but she it was not Clara. 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 Clara or Clara. Yeah, Clara. 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 Um, she was an interesting character. Um, you know what's funny? I didn't realize that was her when she came with her friend. Oh, into the cafe. Uh, yeah. She like, did. She looked so different. She did. And, and I was like, in clothes. <laughs> <laughs> she was clothed. Yes. And, you and know, I was like, I was like, who is this new character that they're yeah. all of a sudden introducing? Yeah. And I didn't catch on until almost the end of the movie. That, that was who it was. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't, met some I didn't realize <laughs> until until he brought her down to the river. Uh, <laughs> she gets naked again. <laughs> oh, there. Yeah. All right, guys. <laughs> <daughter, this> <laughs> no, but I don't, I don't know if it's because she had less makeup on, or I don't know. Just maybe I was. She just, wasn't shrouded in red light. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, um, then she became interesting. Anyway. Then yeah. she became interesting. <laughs> so I, I, I think you get your feel for how we uh, felt about this movie, but you may also notice that uh, somebody is missing, um, and that is Alvin. He did not see the movie, and so we have punished him, <laughs> and we have put him out of the shot, Finished. and we have made him give blood <laughs> for not seeing the movie, but um, we're going to be nice, and we're going to invite him back in and let him... Uh, let him talk a little bit about uh, some of these topics, spy movies, uh, directors kind of shoot the same way that Anton Corbin has, or maybe have definitely yeah. influenced Anton Corbin, and uh, then maybe George Clooney movies. So, just so when you see an awkward cut and uh, Alvin suddenly appears, uh, that's why. His punishment is over. I think your explanation might be more awkward than the cut. Yeah. Well, <laughs> your awkward cut. You just leave a sense of mystique. 
Yeah. To the proceedings. <laughs> you could just invite me and I'll walk onto. No, we'll actually like. No, we're gonna cut. We don't want to see you walk. <laughs> Come on. All right, now then walk on over. <laughs> you got now. You got to strut. Come on again! He's back! Our oh, sex appeal has returned. This is, uh, like, this is like when Kramer comes in through the room. So let's um So let's talk about a, a little bit about Tom called it the, the meditative style yeah. of directing. Um and for me I, I think the two big names that come to mind are Sergio Leone and Terrence Malick. Mm-hmm. And I thought Sergio Leone almost immediately once Anton Corbin started shooting Italy. Mm-hmm. Because it really felt like I could see some Sergio well, this, Leone shots. This is, yeah, that more than, I know you brought up Terrence Malick, but Sergio Leone more than any other is, is the director that I thought of that mm-hmm. obviously influenced Anton Corbin. And he even has, he has uh, Once Upon a Time, time, in, time in the West playing in the cafe yeah. in Italy. Um, and it was it was funny because you heard the uh, Ennio Morricone music, the harmonica music coming in, mm-hmm. and I leaned over to the person I was with, it's like Morricone. <laughs> I was like so excited. I thought it was just gonna be like a, a musical reference, and then all of a sudden it's playing on the screen. That that scene was awesome because he shuts the door when the gun would have gone off in the Leone movie. Right. And so the door gets shut, and so you you, you yeah. don't hear it's, a gunshot. It's the scene in the beginning where Henry Fonda is, yeah, is about to shoot the a door slam. I thought that was really cool. Wow. It's but, it's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, Leone definitely you can tell that he took mm-hmm. his cue from. Yeah. So I, I don't I actually enjoy uh Sergio Leone's films. Um and for some reason his style, the uh meditative or I call it the lingering shot. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh it works with him. He does it well. With Terrence Malick and with this movie, it doesn't. It makes me bored. And I think maybe it's the subject matter. Um, that that style of just sort of sitting there staring at something works in Western because, I don't know, it just works. Uh, maybe there's nothing else to do with the West, a little less. I don't know. But it works. But with a spy movie or with Terrence Malick, a war movie or a... Uh, uh, colonial conquest movie, it doesn't, you know, the new world, the new doesn't world, the new world. Okay. work. Uh, it's just boring. It, I sit there and, okay, so they're staring at each other, or he's staring at his shoes, and I have to watch this for five minutes <laughs> to get the point that he's got some well, that issues. Was, that was the weird thing about the new world, and that was my introduction to Malik. Yeah. And, um, he... <clears throat> Anytime there's action, it happens almost entirely off camera. Yeah. So that the war scene is like, you see it starting, but then it goes to after the war when everybody's just looking around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like, so that was my problem with it, is that I felt like everything that happened off camera needed to be shown, mm-hmm. and everything that was happening on camera was boring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just overly meditative. Do you feel it's a fair assessment of he he directed the thin line. line? You saw it, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I did see a thin red line, and that was a very long time ago. And I think that was a very good way of describing it because I think there was definitely something missing because I annoyed it when it happened, and then afterwards I see the response, but I'm left wondering what what happened. 
but then but then they linger on the the response a little too long where I'm just like I want to know I want to know and 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 and, it, and I don't know if I ever got that satisfaction of, of, of understanding it but also I think I was young and stupid when that movie came out so I don't think I have uh, I had the same appreciation for that kind of thing as I do now yeah you know I was a teenager looking for, I mean, you know, Thin Red Line that came out right after Saving Private Ryan, and I was expecting, yes, more of the same, and that's how you, they even marketed it, but uh, it wasn't. So, I mean, I have to put it in context of my expectations and then the disappointment, and, and I feel that if I were to watch it again now, with the understanding that it's more of a meditative movie, I think it would be a lot more interesting to me. So um, you, you like that style of filmmaking? I, I think I would be really interested to, because... At that point, then it's not so much the filmmaking, but it is a ch the burden is on the actor to convey mm -hmm. emotion and tell a story through that scene without saying anything. <coughs> so I mean, so there's burden on the actor and then the director to be able to, to to piece that together. And to me, that will be very challenging it's and very interesting. The the actors are interesting in a thin red line, especially because it's such an ensemble movie that there are people who don't really who will pop up kind of suddenly like John Cusack is probably the biggest, biggest example I can think of Thin Red Line mm -hmm. he doesn't come in until about midway through the movie but he's he's really integral to that movie and then he dis disappears and we don't see him for a little while but he has about the middle of that movie he's the, he's the focus mm -hmm. and then he's gone um, Sean Penn and Jim Caviezel and Nick Nolte are pretty much through it the entire way, but there's a lot of actors who jump in and jump out. Uh, George Clooney, George Clooney was in is movie. in it for uh, like three minutes at the very end. Um, he just has this. He has an important part because if you go back, you can't hear his speech, <laughs> but his speech is really important. It's a really good speech, but you can't hear it because Jim Caviezel is narrating over it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's another one. Yeah. <laughs> Voiceover. Voiceover for me is hardly ever good, and Malik likes it. And in the New World, there are three different characters that can voiceover in the movie, yeah. and they're all this like slow. They all sound depressed. It's all this really slow, meditative narration over shots of them looking meditative and bored, boring. Well, here's here's my that. problem with it: <laughs> that it we emphasizes when it's good. the photography <laughs> over the filmmaking. Photography is filmmaking. But no, no it's, it's not. It's a component of filmmaking. It's a component. It's it's sort of like I this is a complete tangent. Graphic or Time Magazine. Or but it was sort of it was the problem with Image Comics when they first started. They emphasized the the artistry, the artist, the actual drawing right. images over the storytelling. The story is the is but the no. images. I mean that's is that's photography. Even though yeah. the American was beautifully shot, and like you said, there were some amazing scenes that I loved to look at, mm -hmm. I was bored. And I don't go into Because you're not movie. meditating on I, it. I don't want to meditate on it. I think... And maybe that's part of the problem. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. um, this just just like something I just thought about. Um, it seems like, the, to me, the difference between, say, Malik and Leone is that with Leone, I feel like it, it is, there, there are a lot of those lingering shots, um, but I feel like 
he's showing me everything. He, he knows what to show. Like, he knows when to show action. He knows when to show just a lingering mm -hmm. shot. Mm -hmm. And with Malik, I feel like... I feel like it's the opposite. Where things that are happening are, are like the things that I want to see he's not showing me and then when he's showing me just these lingering shots I'm just bored mm -hmm. like I appreciate the shot it's really pretty but you know yeah move the story forward yeah. I mean you gotta remember yeah. this is a dramatic form mm -hmm. ultimately this comes from you know drama plays and it doesn't have is, to be though. It's a revision of the dramatic form in my mind. Like we, yeah, don't, we don't have to force ourselves into one we way only, of only we only uses movie. we only will use like ten minutes of no dialogue, just shots of stillness. Mm -hmm. But it builds up to something. Yeah. Mm. That makes it worth the wait. And with Malik It increases the dramatic tension. And again, I'm I'm going mostly off the new world here. But there's a lot of lingering shots that lead up there, there's no payoff yeah. mm -hmm. story wise mm -hmm. it sounds like you're saying that that Malik is a little too heavy handed in the use of the, the stillness like he's trying to force I would even say pretentious yeah. yeah yeah I mean I can appreciate Malik for I mean as a it's beautiful filmmaking yeah but not engaging Yeah. I, yeah. A movie that Malik uses is an acquired taste. He definitely is. A movie I think that uses beautiful cinematography and sort of that style, but melds it well with a decent story is Legends of the Fall. That uses beautiful cinematography, very well framed shots, but that's not you don't rely on that for the tension in the film. That adds to it. It creates a sense of. Uh, it creates an atmosphere, but that's not the only thing to hang on to. Whereas in Malik's movies, that's all there is. That's all you're hanging on to. And if that, if sitting and wa sitting watching two people stare at each other with so in a soft focus shot for 15 minutes isn't your awesome. thing, then you can't get into the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what it is. It's not people sitting there for 15 minutes. That's obviously hyperbole. Yeah. But. <laughs> No, Malik, uh, the, why I love meditative films so much is because they make you meditate. And because mm -hmm. it's not, it is, it's a complete revision of what we think film should be and is. Sometimes he removes obvious conflict. It forces you to actually sit there and think and, and to meditate. Or, the opposite, get bored. Mm -hmm. It forces you to do one. one of the, it forces you to either engage with the film well, on a, a meditative <laughs> level, yeah. or to ignore it. It, mm -hmm. it. it literally, it's a complete revision of the way that film mm -hmm. is made and done. And I don't only really appreciate that, but I like it. And but I can also, I really understand why people I can, don't. Now I can appreciate what he's trying yeah. to do intellectually, but as far as enjoying it. I don't. It's it's not enjoyable to watch. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, from. Well, that's because you're a lesser person. Yeah. <laughs> from yeah. Point of view, no. I understand. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's it's sort of like performance art. You know, I mean. Okay. Mm -hmm. I intellectually, I understand. I understand it provides contribution mm -hmm. to the art form, but 
it's not enjoyable to sit through. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me, I, I, it's hard for me to speak with any kind of authority because I haven't seen it, but it sounds like what I'm hearing is that he's creating a movie here where he is creating forced silence and inviting the viewer to participate in the movie by meditating along. Now you're talking about the American or you're talking about Malik? Um, Malik. Malik, I guess. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like just forcing the viewer to participate by meditating and thinking along. And if you are unwilling to participate in that meditation, then and you're only expecting to be entertained, then it becomes much less because then that's how it becomes for us. Are there, are there any other directors you, you can think of besides Leone and Malik who really use consistently really long, lingering shots? Well, I'm just, I'm thinking of most European movies I've seen yeah. like mm -hmm. that. Um, I have a hard time engaging with most European movies because it's, it's a lot of, I mean, it's just a lot of slow, just people thinking or mm -hmm. people looking. Um, I mean, German films aside, because I, I tend to I tend to like German films. I don't know. It's it's just as a generality, I've enjoyed German films. But other than that, like French cinema, especially, mm -hmm. the American felt very French. It did. Yeah, we came out yeah. of it and we were saying that felt like a French movie. Um, yeah, most French films I've seen, you know, just weird because Corbin is Dutch. <laughs> uh, yeah, and this is more of an Italian film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, and I don't know if that's just because, I I think this is what it is for me. I can appreciate a meditative style mm -hmm. as long as that's not the entire movie. Yeah, exactly. All right, well let's let's move on. How does this fit into say like the spy movie genre, or how what, how do you feel about spy movies? This yeah. actually got me really excited for a different kind of spy movie. That opening scene when he shoots the girl. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow. This is going to be a spy movie where the spy is literally looking out for number one. His only concern is his own life. And I was really excited to see that movie. Where he's willing to do anything to kill anyone, whatever it takes to survive. Even if it's, you know, a girl that he has a relationship a like with. That. And you would have enjoyed that movie? It would have been something different. It would have been a uh, movie that I hadn't you, seen You were just talking about seeing a movie and not enjoying it. And <laughs> yeah. That making, like, I want to get away from this scary That being a detriment to <laughs> Well, I, I'm, I'm saying I would have enjoyed soul. seeing a movie that... Uh, that kind of a spy movie, where the spy is, a, is kind of the anti-hero. That's not something that you really see very much. Or Actually, I can't think of any other movies where the spy is... This is an anti-hero. There are definitely movies he's where he's, really he's willing though. to do violent things. You know, he's, he's not a spy he's, so he's much as He's an assassin. He's an assassin, yeah. 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 He's an assassin, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I appreciate putting this into the espionage, you know, genre, because, you know, it's kind of that hitman, assassins, spies. Yeah. Okay. But I think we said the same thing about Night and Day when that came out. You wanted to see a cold-blooded killer. Yeah. I did want to see that. I did want to see that. I, I, I felt the same way, actually. When I, yeah. see, when I see a movie like this, I want to see, even if it's an anti-hero, I want to see somebody that I can relate to and, and yeah. empathize with. Yeah. If it's just a cold-blooded killer, if, if George Clooney's character had not moved forward as a person from mm -hmm. that experience, and I mean, he was haunted by it. Mm -hmm. um, that I wouldn't have a, had a problem with. 
So, you know, but I wanted to see... I mean, yeah, he has to grow as a character. I mean, otherwise it's pointless. But in the, in the way of American Psycho, where you have a character that is not your typical protagonist. Right. A protagonist that is despicable in some empathetic. way. Yeah. Disturbingly uh, empathetic. I'd like to see a spy it's movie that is American similar Psycho to that. It's frightening when you suddenly start to empathize and yeah. realize, no. uh-oh, I relate to him. And you're I feel like, like, I, feel I don't like, want to watch anymore. I feel, like they, I feel like they accomplished that with this movie to a point because this was a guy that I really didn't like after what he did in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And yet by the end, when he's driving down to the river and you know, trying to hold on because he's been shot, trying to hold on just to make it there. I felt for him, mm-hmm. and I shouldn't be cut shots. Shut up! <laughs> I know he wants to say something. <laughs> the gut shot. I hate the gut shot. It takes you at least three days to die from a gut shot, and usually you die from infection. And films do that all the time, where people die in like twenty minutes from a gut shot. Well, and it's absurd. But maybe whatever. Maybe die. There's, there, there are, there are a lot of movies that I really like that use the gut shot, so I can look over there. But, um, I, I know we were supposed to be talking about espionage movies, but um, I'm actually thinking more of Pitman movies because, because yeah. the, the movie that comes to mind immediately is In Bruges. Yeah. Okay. Because it starts with a similar premise. We, we've all seen In Bruges. You haven't seen In Bruges. Oh man, you got your own that. <laughs> we'll watch that ahead. On the Saturday first. Oh yeah, we should watch that tonight. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Um, <laughs> okay. You're all invited. Why am I, please? No, but it, it starts out with almost the exact same premise. Because no, it people. It's a hitman being sent to a small European town to hide out and wait for the next assignment. Mm-hmm. Lay low, wait for the next assignment. Um, Colin Farrell is basically the George Clooney characters that you know, um, with something in his past that's haunting him, and you know he's he's dealing with it. But this is actually a movie that was really engaging. You know, the, the, the characters were engaging. Um, movie's no dumb, stupid. It, it just have George Clooney working out, making me feel bad about <laughs> my body. Uh, let me ask you this. this. Um, we, we set this up as we were talking about spy movies. What What's a spy movie to you? Because you, you haven't seen this, so I mean, why don't you define a spy movie so that then we, we can talk about how the American yeah. doesn't or does meet okay. those expectations. Yeah, because, like, I mean, we kind of talk about, like, a hitman movie and mm-hmm. then we talk about, like, a spy movie. Like, spy movie, to me, doesn't necessarily necessitate actually killing someone. Like, it means sneaking in. Mm-hmm. It means obtaining information. It means pretending to be someone else, having false identities. So there isn't... It doesn't culminate in a mission where the goal is murdering someone. Like that's that would be a difference in a spy movie, but okay. like a hitman movie that's, is like that's good point. yeah, like like you always have to have a target, you know, mm-hmm. like that is your goal, and then you have to like survive, you know, um, and sometimes there isn't any sneaking around. Sometimes all you do is set up a really good shot where you're outside a window, and snipe from a mile away, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and and there's you know maybe you're studying the target's movement or whatever. Um, so I mean that's that's gonna be a little different when you when you're a hitman or assassin because you have you have a target that you have to follow and you have to know and whatever. But a spy, not necessarily that always. You know. So I mean I think of hitman movies. I'm thinking of you know I'm thinking of assassins, right? With mm-hmm. uh, Stallone and what's his face. Yeah, I think it, I think of Ghost Point Blank. 
That's um, good. That's shooter. Um, shooter. Another assassin movie. Sort of. Sort of. I mean, it's the Bourne movies? Um, where Where would you put the Bourne movies? That's kind of in between. Yeah, I, I, I only saw the first one, so... Because, so. Yeah, because, because uh, Matt Damon's character in that is an assassin, but the plot is more of him trying to find that information, which is mm -hmm. more of an espionage plot. Right, yeah. Right. So, well, I think a lot of Hitman and, and assassins and movies fall under that espionage umbrella. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But an actual spy movie, I think, is more Al was talking about, where it's more about getting in, getting information, getting out. Rather than actually the, the 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 objective being to go in and, and kill somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't something that interested me about the American that I was about was his last assignment actually isn't to kill anyone. His last assignment, which I thought was really cool, was just to build a gun mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. sell it. Yeah, that I actually did assignment. like that. that I really like that, that idea. Yeah, and that, yeah. that I was saying that there's are aspects of this movie that I like, and that was yeah his last assignment, like you said, is to build a gun, not to like actually do anything, not to yeah. get information, not to kill anybody. So he's just basically a craftsman. He's like the MacGyver of gun makers. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's like, like using parts job. that he finds around, laid around to make a suppressor. That was awesome. It I was, love it. but I didn't understand why he could order the gun in the mail and then have to make the suppressor. And he made, but, I feel like he ordered pieces of it. Yeah. yeah. It was interesting to watch, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so manly. <laughs> but... Uh, I don't think we're gonna have time to get to the see how this falls in the George Clooney canon. So sorry, are you would, single middle-aged ladies out there who are hoping <laughs> to talk about him? <laughs> I would like to say that I actually disagree. I think this is one of George Clooney's worst performances. Well, you're a fan. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, actually, actually, whoa. I do not think this performance. There, there were some moments when I felt like. This this was not as good as Michael Clayton or Up in the Air or Syriana. I do not think it. it there were moments because George Clooney, what he's good at is that that swagger that you know I got everything under, mm -hmm. under control no matter how crazy it gets. Yeah, yeah. And there were moments in this movie where that kind of like it almost like he slipped into that role for just a second and you could see it and then you go back. Oh wait, I'm supposed to be depressed and. Mm. Meditative, and you can see that. Hey, ladies, brood, Have you seen Up in the Air? No, I have not seen. Or Michael Clayton. Um, no, I have not seen Michael Clayton. Or Suriana. I have no, I have not seen. I did see the three best performances. Because those three, I mean, George Clooney really shows that he's a lot more versatile than playing Danny Ocean. Yeah, I realize that, but there were he, he's more he, fun. He I mean, felt he switched he switched roles. So I don't have a problem if he was consistent in this, but there were moments where he switched into like that Danny Ocean role. Okay. I and then he swapped back. I just, okay. So it would it would if he wasn't if he was consistently brooding and depressed all the time, then that'd be fine. But he there was like there was literally a moment where a woman walks by and he's like, hey, babe, oh, wait. I no. remember that. I'm supposed <laughs> yeah, to be burning. And she goes in the middle of the door. And he's like, oh, crap. And, and then know. he goes you back to that look walking along and brooding. Yeah. yeah. The little, uh, brood, yeah. So, and yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was inconsistent. Yeah. I so, I, I don't think this was a great role for him. But I I, I, I think it was because it's, it's a completely different kind of role. But yeah. Um, okay, anyways, we got it. Yeah, but that's it. We're going to move on to our flip chart segment next and uh, probably kick Alvin out for the first three and then 
Oh, Let him back in. But mm-hmm. he's got to go give him more blood. Oh. Well, you should have seen the movie. <laughs> um, so. Sad story. All right. to our rankings. It's going to rank it up against three random movies. And we're going to do that right now. The first movie it comes up against is Alice in Wonderland. This is the Tim Burton version from last year. Mm-hmm. Or from this year. For me, this, th- this is an easy one um, in that I would go with the American. Alice in Wonderland was... Messy. Mess, yeah. Messy there's, and disappointing. There's some moments right. that, that, that are good. Um, it, interesting because it's kind of a movie that has some pretty shots in it. I actually like Anne Hathaway in it. I thought she might have been oh, the really? best part oh, of the movie. I thought she was the worst part yeah. of the movie. Really? I liked I her in the movie. I really liked her in the movie. But uh, I thought she overdid that role so much. No, I like that. But that's what made it great. It was, it was, it was too much. She looked like she was having fun with it. I don't. I, I didn't for, like. I like her a lot. I like her as an actress. Well, I think no, she's don't. really, well, really good. But I didn't like her in it. Anyway, as a movie. But I still, I don't like the American. I would go with Alice in Wonderland. Really? I you don't definitely. like it that much? I, I don't like it that much. The American over Alice. I would go with the American. Right? Alice just, just I didn't like Alice in Wonderland, but it's better than the American. Alice in Wonderland is one of Tim Burton's weakest films. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Easily. I agree completely. Yeah. It's still better than that. I think it's because no, he missed not. the point of the story altogether. Yeah. And I, I love Alice in Wonderland. I kind of wish he had just done... Alice in Wonderland? Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Like, yeah. just redone it. Yeah. He didn't need to do a new thing or something well, like that. Well, the thing about it, and, and, and I read this, is what he said about it, is that when he read Alice in Wonderland, he had nothing to uh, connect with because there was no plot. Yeah. So he wanted to give it a plot. But the point of Alice in Wonderland is that, is that, of, no is, is that there is no plot. Yeah. Is that it's just wild. It's just weird. about it's just about nonsense, fantasy, and wordplay. Yeah. yeah, that's all it is. So anyway, that's what's awesome about Alice in Wonderland. And that's what the Disney version got right. Yeah. But anyway, we're definitely going with the American on this one. Sorry, Steve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is don't a, apologize. There's either. not going to be a lot, but oh. Dummy over here. All right, now we've got the American versus the Life Aquatic with Steve's assume. Uh, I love the Life Aquatic, and I haven't seen enough of Wes Anderson. Like I haven't seen the Darjeeling. And, Unlimited or li- limited, limited, yeah. limited, no, and I haven't seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. So actually, for me, the, the Life Aquatic is my favorite uh, Wes Anderson film. So I, I really like it. This, all, this I, is I my least favorite Wes Anderson film. Well, it, it might be Bottle Rocket, but I, I actually that's the only one I haven't seen. Is Bottle Rocket. I didn't really like it that much when I saw it first. Mm-hmm. It's kind of grown on me a little bit in retrospect, but. I was I was high on painkillers at the time, <laughs> and I really don't want to watch it again because I have this like such an awesome experience. And when I watched it, that I love because this might be his trippiest movie too. Yeah, and I was just like, this movie's awesome. I really like Life Aquatic. I enjoyed it a lot, yeah. and um, it's definitely not my favorite Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be either Darjeeling Limited or Fantastic Mr. Fox. But uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Life Aquatic, and it's high on my list. Um, the American is not. I would put it, I, I'd put the Life Aquatic over the American. I think for me, 
because I don't really have a personal attachment to left aquatic, this comes down to just pure filmmaking. Mm -hmm. In which case, I'd probably go with the American on it. But you're overruled. I'm overruled, and I'm not that unhappy about it. So all right, so we're picking the left aquatic. Yeah. Over the American. <clears throat> the last one is the American versus Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. One of the two Harry Potters that I have seen. The, the inner geek in us is going to come out here. The embarrassing geek. Harry Potter! Harry Potter! <laughs> Harry Potter. Yeah. Harry Potter's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And it's Order of the Phoenix is... One of the best. Yeah. As you, you two know, are Harry Potter geeks. I'm yeah. Not. You <laughs> <As> will be. <laughs> uh, Alvin, who's hiding over the corner, would also like to say that he loves Harry Potter. <laughs> no, that's not what I want to say. <laughs> He loves it. I. This is part of your punishment. <laughs> <laughs> Quiet, you. Yeah. <laughs> Back to your cage. Oh. I want to go home. Yeah, Harry you Potter. You are home. <laughs> Harry um, Potter is. But I, I think I think way more enjoyable. I'd probably go Harry Potter yeah. over the American. Yeah. For some. For some. I reason, did enjoy. It. I don't remember much about yeah. it, but I enjoyed. I enjoyed it when I was watching it. When David Yates suddenly became the director, and this was his first. I don't know where he came from, but he has taken Harry Potter to a new level with Order of the Phoenix yeah. and Half-Blood Half Blood Prince was one of the best movies of last year. It was Wait, so good. I thought that was the one that's coming out this... What's the one that's coming out this fall? Deathly Hollows. Uh, Come on! Alright. It's, it's well shot. It's an awesome fantasy. And it's amazing that they've made good films through this entire series. Yeah. I'll give you that because uh, yeah. fantasy is a genre where there's a lot of bad filmmaking, mm -hmm. and what I've seen of Harry Potter is it's good filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So it's good acting. They always get. I mean, they, they even get, Goblet of Fire is good, regardless. Even of what Goblet you of Fire is good. I think it's a poor adaption, and there's some silly so scenes, but it's good. It is good. Mm -hmm. I oh. I think most of that's the, the director's fault. I think it's pretty clear that we're going Harry Potter and the yeah. Phoenix over the Yay! Mm. Harry Potter. Mm. Um, Where's my wizard hat? So now we're just going to do a couple of uh, random flip chart rankings that probably have nothing to do with the American. Should we let Alvin come back? I we'll let him come back. Come on. Uh, okay, Alvin, your penance is... You don't like Harry Potter? Oh my gosh. Harry Potter, Order of the Phoenix was my favorite book out of the whole entire series. Oh, uh, so you have adaptation problems. Yeah. yeah. But so, as a film, can you separate it? I would have to watch it again. Have because when I saw it, I was so disheartened. No. It was such a huge letdown. But that was my favorite book in the whole series. And I felt like it just... It Actually, not, it didn't capture the book. It didn't capture any They had to cut I out thought. a lot. But I, I thought it was a cool adaption because what they captured was the... The large arc. Um, uh, the large arc of the series. No, the of, of the book. I thought they captured the large arc of the book. I, I think don't... we'll have ample time to get to that yeah. when we discuss Deathly Hallows. Okay. Tom's shutting you down. Shutting wow. you down. We're going on to this. It's Austin Powers and Goldmember versus Signs. Have... I haven't seen all of okay. Goldmember. I haven't seen Goldmember. I've seen parts of it I and felt the need to turn it off. Alright, so we're clicking have not seen it for Goldmember. So it's going to be Signs versus Brazil. Ooh. I have not seen Brazil. <sighs> I've seen Brazil. I've seen Brazil. Right. I saw Brazil in 1985. So the rule oh. here is three out of the four of us have to have seen the movie, and then two out of the three have to choose a movie for a majority rule. So. Oh. Okay, so you've seen. The three of us have seen Brazil. Okay. Have you seen Signs? We've all seen I've Signs. Seen signs. 
Okay. Do you like signs? I like signs. <laughs> and it's sad. I th this is tough for me because I do like signs, and I think it's Shyamalan's uh, second best movie. I think it's for me. It's it's right behind Sixth Sense, and I I really like Signs. It's really close behind Sixth Sense. Um, and Brazil is such a weird, crazy movie. It is, and I was seven when I saw Brazil. Wow. Um, <laughs> so it was insane to me, and I remember it just being as this crazy. I I can't even like put together what it was about. It was just crazy images. That's it. Um, the dream sequences are really weird, movie, especially when he's fighting the samurai. I still can't wrap my head around those. But but I guess yeah. sit there with the dog in your head. <laughs> I would I would choose signs until I can speak again. You I could, would you could talk you about. Can, I would probably pick signs. Jump in and talk about signs. Yeah. Um, I I think Brazil's probably a better movie, mm -hmm. but I enjoyed signs a lot more. Yeah. So I might go Brazil on this one, but I'm not too. I think Signs is a, a really good movie, really well done, mm -hmm. and it does the alien invasion genre in a completely different way. That's true. And I, I can really appreciate that. It's a Even though I hate alien movies. It, it is. is a meditative alien movie. Maybe, Just like Unbreakable that is a meditative superhero yeah. movie. Yeah. And that's yeah. meditative filmmaking done right. Ghost movie. That's and what Shyamalan used to do well. Wait, yeah. are we saying that Shyamalan is like Sergio Leone? Maybe used to be. <laughs> he used to be. He used to do. A now lot. he's just a waste of money and time. So we're going signs over Brazil. The thing, the thing with Gilliam, you, you, I think you, you said it really well. Is that it's, it's really good. Gilliam movies always feel like they're really good, and they feel like I'm missing something. And I'm not sure if I actually am, but Gilliam movies like yeah. Brazil, or even uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, it. F they're so well made that it feels like there's something extra there that I am just not smart enough to find out. <laughs> and well, so I, I'm, I'm always like, oh yeah, Brazil's good. I don't know why. But <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so I'll go signs over Brazil. Yeah. And our next random matchup is Chicago versus Fahrenheit 9-11. I think we've talked about my feelings of Fahrenheit 9-11. I do not consider it a movie. Um, I don't know if we talked about it during the podcast, though, so... Okay, well, I do, I do not consider Fahrenheit 9-11 a movie. I consider it a personal attack on a person that is willing to do whatever it, whatever it takes to make that person look bad. Uh, even though most of the final assertions I agree with, I, I don't like what it does as a movie. Um, now we've all seen both these movies... You've not seen Fahrenheit 9-11 or Chicago? I've seen Chicago. Okay. okay. Not Fahrenheit 9-11. Yeah, I don't like Fahrenheit 9-11 for pretty much the same. It's just, it's... It's... Michael Moore has become so much more of a... Like a propaganda. Yeah, it's propaganda. Um, and it's just, it's... I think if he wouldn't inject himself so much into the movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was charming back when he was doing like Roger and me. Right. And, yeah. and even a little bit in Bowling for Columbine. But now it's just... He seems to like... Showing himself too much. Yeah. And e even though I really like capitalism and I really like Sicko, um, my my biggest problem is what you're saying with this one. Um, it's not it's not an idea movie. It's an attack on a person. And even though I'm not, I have no love for George W. Bush. Mm -hmm. um, I still want a fair look 
Uh, yeah, and it's not it's not fair. Right. Yeah, we should. should. Whereas on the other hand, Chicago, Chicago is awesome. an amazing musical. I love Whereas, Chicago. Uh, what was the yeah. movie? Was it Oliver Stone recently did on George W. He right? did W. I haven't seen it though. That is actually it's very it does, good. It's very yeah. good. It's very fair. It shows mm-hmm. Bush that you know, yeah, he wasn't the great, the smartest, the greatest person, but it's a fair look at him, and it it actually shows some qualities that he had that I have overlooked and some gives some reasoning you know he, he's not just a evil guy he's a well-rounded character yeah, yeah. it shows I mean, him in a fair way that, that I thought were great and stuff he did with Africa and that kind of thing but yeah mm-hmm. uh, but, but anyways yeah, yeah. Let's, let's talk about Chicago because Chicago is a musical that I'm afraid I'm always like fighting for it because I'm afraid it's going to somehow get swept under the mat and forgotten about. But Chicago's amazing. It is, yeah. I think Moulin Rouge is talked about too much and Chicago is not talked about enough. Well, um, <laughs> Moulin Rouge is... Moulin Rouge Moulin is Moulin good, is really but good. Chicago wouldn't have gotten Moulin made versus Chicago, I would yeah. go Chicago easily. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah I'm going It would be a really tough I would go with Moulin Rouge, Rouge. Yeah. easily. But Chicago's not because Chicago's... I dislike Chicago. I really do like it. Chicago is a, it's a classic musical. It feels like a classic stage musical, mm-hmm. but it's shot brilliantly. Like they just they use modern film techniques to shoot a musical and a very traditional, good adaption of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about Chicago. I, I only saw it once when I first came out in the theater. I saw it in the theater, and to see it in the theater was like an experience because mm-hmm. it, it was almost like being at a Broadway show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just the, the presentation, the the ending, even after the plot's done, they have that, that last musical number with Franz Zellweger and Catherine Zeta-Jones mm-hmm. just doing that dance with the Tommy guns. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, I haven't seen it since, and I don't know if it holds up on like watching it like on a small screen as much. But from what I remember, it was just like a musical experience, mm-hmm. which, and- which elevated it above just being a mere movie. Have any of you seen it like live, like the actual production? Mm-hmm. I, I have seen actual, not a Broadway, but I have seen an actual like off-Broadway production of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it's good, and it's I, that's what I like best about it, is I, I've seen actual Broadway production off-Broadway, mm-hmm. and then I saw the movie. Yeah, I've seen it too. And I think it's a very, very faithful, very good adaption. Yeah, it and is. And that's one of the things that I appreciate it, the most it's about it. able to capture that sort of spectacle of the stage yeah. uh, really well. And that's, like you said, that's what I appreciate about it, is that it transfers that that feeling that it has on the stage onto, onto film really, really well. Yeah. Remind me that Richard Gere is a cool guy. Yeah. The tap dancing is a movie. The tap dancing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't actually particularly like him in this movie, but when he did that tap dance scene, I was... He's not... His character is not a likable character. Mm-hmm. Well, no, performance-wise. Oh, performance-wise? Yeah. But until he did that... Until he had that tap dancing scene, which was brilliant both metaphorically and, you know, on a service level. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the cuts between him talking and the tap dance, which is yeah. only something oh, you, yeah. you could do in film. That's not something yeah. that you can do on the stage. Right, yeah. right, yeah. And that was such an amazing use of that. That was, yeah, that was it's awesome, the, the juxtaposition between his words yeah. and his moves. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, awesome. So good. Beautiful. 
Yeah. Plus, I'm a sucker for the time period. Yeah. 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 Um, so we're definitely going to go to Chicago with Fahrenheit 911. Yeah. We have time for another one, or should we just end here? Okay. Yeah, of course. Uh, so that's our flick chart segment. You can visit us. Our profile name is Incidental Dog at Flick Chart. Uh, check us out. Me would use it as a gimmick, like, but they would use it playfully. They would make 
like there was the end there where they were like seeing how far out the screen they could go. They were the goofy little yellow guys were measuring yeah. themselves with rulers. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> that, that was just the end credits. Yeah. Yeah, that was just fun. Mm-hmm. There was that was just fun with it, and it worked on that. Yeah. But and Avatar is pretty much the one. That, and, and forgive me for saying this, but Avatar used three D well because it used. Oh yeah. He used it for depth of field. Mm-hmm. He didn't have things yeah. popping out of the screen at you. Yeah. It was foreground, background. I like that you apologized to me before you compliment <laughs> Avatar. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to say this. Yeah, just, just I'm, I'm just letting you know ahead of time so yeah. that you don't, you know. Yeah. No, I agree with you. It does use 3D well. Yeah. Um, and he uses that technology in the right mm-hmm. way. Um, I have a problem with 3D just because I don't think the technology is actually there yet to be used mm-hmm. in every movie that comes out. And also, I think it's just another excuse for oh, the yeah. theaters to jack Charges up the prices another yeah. five bucks, yeah. mm-hmm. which they're already ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, you always have the choice to not see it in three D, well, which see, is what I now here. Now, here's where another element of this comes in because I'm not going to pay the extra money to see this in three D. Yeah. I'm going to see it in two D. Yeah. I'm still going to have things fly at the screen. Mm-hmm. So, well, they they shoot things to fly at the screen and it looks stupid. Yeah. It's, because yeah. it doesn't. Come out of the screen, and so it, it just kind of comes up and goes like, yeah. You know. So in other words, where, whereas Resident <laughs> Evil Extinction was a pretty bad movie mm. with some cool elements to it, yeah. it wasn't like aggressively like th- this idea of things flying at me is like aggressively bad filmmaking. Yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't always have to be flying at you. I mean. In horror movies, you always have things just popping up, like mm-hmm. right in front of you, and and that's another gimmicky thing that's just been done and overdone. I mean, this is this is just another thing that that they do now. I mean, it's you I mean that's add that's, yeah. Here's I mean, it's just a mountain of bad ideas. They always have these. The movie. slow the thing that comes into my mind is remember Clash of Titans, which was one that was converted. Right. They have that. There's a scene where there's a sword comes at you just slowly. And the problem with the gimmicky 3D is they want it to be slow so that you can see it pop out. And so, but when it's not in 3D, you just get the shot of a sword or something spinning slowly on screen. And okay. just and you're just kind of sitting there and you're like... Mm. And the thing is, you know what it's going to look like in 3D, mm. but you're not seeing it. And so you're just like... It's just distracting. It distracts you from the film. Because you're like, oh, I should be seeing this scene in 3D. Yeah. And or that's maybe, what the scene's about. Maybe it's just a meditative moment. Like, you can just think about I do not think Paul W. S. Anderson has any idea what meditation is. <laughs> this, sure. is this is weird for me. When I first heard this movie was coming out, I never thought I'd be sitting here having <laughs> being this against seeing this movie because I love Mila Jovovich even when she's in a terrible movie. Yeah. I love Mila Jovovich. I would only because she's pretty. Yeah. I also think she's a good actor. No, I, I don't think there's any proof yeah, that she's, she's a good actor. <laughs> well, no, wait. Fifth Element. No. There you no, go. No. Fifth Element. Um, she's no. awesome. No, she's not. She's, she, she, not does, she does these movies, but then she does independent movies in between. And yeah. She gives really good performances. Like in Dummy. Have you seen the movie Dummy? Or have you seen The Claim? Uh, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's all she's done. No, she's done other movies. Right? Yeah. She's a dummy no. claim. Yeah. Okay. But so Nate, what do you think? What, are you well, looking forward to this movie? In no way, shape, or form. <laughs> <laughs> but for diff for different reasons. Um, so I'm sure next week we won't be biased at all. <laughs> I love the Resident Evil video games. Okay. I'm yeah. a big follower of those, okay. and I feel like these movies have just the video game adaptions are really hard to do. And I was talking to Steven about this. 
the, vi the video games are kind of a survival horror. They're about, you know, one person trying to get away from hordes of zombies and having, like, two bullets and a knife. Yeah. It's yeah, kind of yeah. scary, and yeah, maybe yeah. there's some giant monster. These movies don't even care for that. Like, yeah. and there there they is a there is a movie genre where they, they could do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They could have done that, and they chose not to. They no. chose to blatantly adapt this into a blood fest. A blood fest, yeah. No. Into just and there's tons of gore in the Resident Evil films, mm -hmm. so they could have you could have still had gore, but you could have added some of the scary substance of survival horror. And they also don't they do the mythology terribly. Mm -hmm. There's insane weird mythology in the Resident Evil games that I actually that's the one thing I'm looking forward in this is we're gonna see Albert Wesker. Mm. in this thing and I've seen him okay. and we're going to see more of Umbrella um, so we might actually see long awaited wait for Albert Wesker yeah actually <laughs> Albert Wesker is such he's if, a if you follow the guy. Resident Evil yeah. mythology he's a really important yeah and he hasn't been in any of the movies it's he hasn't kind of ridiculous at all. Yeah. he no. should right. he's, he's there at the mansion in the first yeah. one he should have been there and he wasn't mm. he's the reason that computer goes like insane uh, he should be in the second one where they destroy Raccoon City. And the third one I had no desire to see because Resident Evil movies are not apocalypse. No. They should not. not the, the, the scary thing about the Resident Evil video games is that they destroy and bomb Raccoon City to avoid an apocalypse. They're willing to nuke millions of people's lives. And they, they end up going to third world countries and using the poor population as you know, test, subjects. test subjects and to experiment on. And so there's there's actually a political idea behind it. Whereas so as, a, as, as, a, as a film series, it could have explored a lot more things in the zombie genre. Exactly. Yeah, and it okay. doesn't do that. And it just, it really, and there's an no, awesome opportunity there. There's cool characters to follow. There's cheesy lines. Resident Evil's famous for cheesy lines. And they yeah. could have done that. It's just, it's such a huge right. missed opportunity. Well, I'm actually excited to see this. Because I have absolutely no expectations. I expect it to be a horrible movie. And when I go into a movie expecting it to be horrible, I can have fun with it. Mm. You know, in a, in a mystery science theater kind of way. Mm. Um, so I haven't gone into a movie knowing that it's going to be really bad and just enjoying the terrible, you know, filmmaking and, you know, being able to make fun of it as I'm watching it. But I can't run my mouth in the theater. Well, we'll um, we'll try to go to AMC so there's nobody in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> Sit back. So AMC is not going to be sponsoring this podcast. No, 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 no. Yeah, I I think I have to agree with Steve. Um, I'm really going to look forward to it because I want to be able to go into it and make fun of it. Yeah, that's exactly. really what I'm looking forward to. I uh, went into I think it was Batman and Robin with this or Batman Forever, one of those two, maybe both of them, but basically <laughs> the Very same mentality. And uh, and I had such a great time. I, it was a really great movie-going experience for me because it was pure entertainment on multiple levels where I was interacting with the movie, where I was making fun of it. And they just continued to provide more fodder for yeah. me to just, just rail it down. So not only is it going to be a great movie experience, I'm really looking forward to a really great podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's, it'll be fun to talk about. So... Okay, so uh, that's it for this week's episode of Incidental Dog. Um, you can check us out on the web at www.incidentaldog.com. Um, we're also on Twitter, Flickchart, Facebook. Um, 
basically all the places we're supposed to be. Uh, Gmail. Gmail. You can email us at incidentaldog at gmail.com. Uh, uh, you can send Nate a question. He will answer it personally. Um, we have him chained to, the, to a desk during the week just to answer your emails. So uh, check us out and what that is. Okay. The and uh, other things you shouldn't be doing other things. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> okay. So watch us next, next I like Bobby. <laughs>